live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. All right, let's look at the bright side. Over the weekend, we had something very, very important in Wisconsin and an entity very important in Wisconsin that was able to do something that that I, I don't think anybody else has been able to do. That is, unite the state. It doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. It doesn't matter if you're a conservative or a liberal. It doesn't matter if you live in the city or live in a rural area. All those different things. We were able to bond together over the weekend with one central theme. That theme being, my goodness, how clueless are they in Green Bay? You know, it's interesting because after the various drafts that you have, the player drafts, you read the national media and everybody, they they tend to have different assessments, you know, and I've been seeing this for years and years and some analysts say, okay, this was a really good draft for a team, this was a bad draft. Um, It is fair to say that the one thing that pundits are unanimous about is that this was, well, okay, the local media who has to deal with the Packers, they, they describe it as quirky. Um, the, the the general reaction of the national media is that this might be one of the worst drafts in, in NFL history. Now, when we spoke on, on, last spoke on Friday, they had used the first-round pick where, after making a decision to pay Aaron Rodgers, making the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL for a number of years, they decided to trade up in the first round to pick a quarterback who, best-case scenario, isn't going to play for three years, maybe more. So no immediate help for a team that came within one game of going to the Super Bowl. But we were told, don't worry. Don't worry. They know what their needs are. They need wide receivers. They need offensive linemen that can fill in. They desperately need an inside linebacker to stop the run after San Francisco got 250 yards in the NFL, uh, the the playoff game, to the NFC playoff game. They know they're going to take care of it. Don't worry. We'll, We'll take care of it. So what do they do in the second round? They pick a running back. Okay, well, you could always use another running back. Then they pick in the third round a tight end that most people thought would have been around if he even got drafted at all would be in the fifth or sixth round they pick that this tight end who's not necessarily a, a great receiver no pick in the fourth round and then you know then they they start picking up players who, who may or may not develop with all these different needs that the question really does and then of course the, the answer is well okay they're trying to move away from Aaron Rodgers they're they're trying to go to a running game they don't want to depend on Aaron Rodgers as much which is all well and good but then the question is why did you pay Aaron Rodgers all all this money why did you make that big commitment but in any event it is, I think, one of the things that you can fairly say about the Packers draft is they were able, it was able to unite us. And the example I gave on Friday is 
in an era where if you if you go to synagogues, you go to churches, or you go to mosques, you know, we, we've been prohibited from doing that collectively. So, I mean, you're not prohibited from worshiping God, but you can, of course, you know, you, you have to do it sort of in a more private sort of way. The one thing the Packers were able to do, I think, in general, round after round, pick after pick, is they were able to bring religion back to the state. Because how many people who were watching the draft saw the particular players that the Packers were picking and collectively looked up at the sky and went, oh, my God. So we will see. One of the real issues is whether there's even an NFL season. And actually, uh, the Journal Sentinel, JS Online, has a really good piece about what that would mean. If what that would mean to the economy of Green Bay if there weren't a season. Packer games generate an estimated fifteen million dollars per game, direct and indirect benefit to Brown County. So, you know, with eight regular season games, two pre-season games, and this year, keep in mind, the Wisconsin Badgers and Notre Dame are supposed to play a game at, at Lambeau Field. They estimate that if this does not happen, and who knows you know, where we're going to be in a couple months, the estimated loss is going to be just catastrophic. Hundred and fifty plus million dollars to to Brown County in the economy. So you know who who knows exactly what that's going to happen. I what's going to happen. I understand that the NFL is still proceeding under the assumption that there is going to be a season. Actually, you kind of wonder wonder you know what the Packers are thinking of with that regard. Was this a draft maybe based in part on the hope that they're not going to have to go out and play? All right. Let me give you the week-to-week numbers. I, I do this from Saturday to Saturday to, to share this with you. And let, let me just give you the lead-in here. I understand at the beginning of the coronavirus outbreak why collectively we did what we did, because we did not know how things were going to, how things were going to break out. We, we didn't know, okay, how bad was the, the infection rate going to be, are hospitals going to be overwhelmed? All those things. And so I understand this, let, let's shut down the whole state. I, I get it. But now that we are starting to see the numbers coming in, the hard actual numbers, it becomes, at least in my opinion, more and more clear that the strategy that we are using now, maybe it was a great strategy a month ago or six weeks ago, but it just doesn't make sense based on the numbers, especially given the economic devastation that these closed, this shutdown is having on the state in general. So far, it has largely been an economic devastation in the private sector that is now starting to spill over in the public sector as public entities are starting to lay off people. And it's going to get nothing but worse because tax revenues aren't going to be coming in. So this, I mean, so far, most of the pain has been private sector, but it's going to quickly expand into the public sector. So here are the week-to-week numbers. And again, I, I looked at this Saturday, the numbers the state reported compared them to last Saturday, so April 18th to April 25th. Here, here is the deal. Wisconsin has 72 counties. It is a big state. It is a diverse state. 62, and this is the second week in a row that these numbers have been consistent, 62 of the 72 counties in Wisconsin had 10 or fewer new cases of COVID-19. 62 of the 72 counties had 10 or fewer cases of COVID-19. Of the 62, follow me here, counties that had 10 or fewer, 58 of those 62 counties had five or fewer cases. 
And that's pretty much consistent with what happened in the last week. 29 counties had no new coronavirus cases week to week. 29 had no cases. So in the vast majority of this state, there is not coronavirus that is sweeping the counties. There are not hospitals or medical facilities that are being overwhelmed. It is very, very much under control in the vast majority of the state. Right? There were approximately 1,500 new cases of coronavirus week to week in Wisconsin. But of those 1,500 cases, about two-thirds, almost a 1,000, came from Brown County or Milwaukee County. Brown County, with everything that went in with the meatpacking plant and stuff, that, that is a hot spot. But you take out Brown County and you take out Milwaukee County, and, and you do not find these huge surges of COVID-19. And like I say, in most of the state, you're, you're, you're seeing almost no growth of this. And in large regions of the state, and I'm not just talking about, gee, go up to Bayfield County in the extreme northwest corner. In, in, in large chunks of, of the state, you know, like you look at Eau Claire, you look at the La Crosse, you look at those areas, and you're seeing little or no growth of, of COVID-19, which, again, begs the question about why, if you've got a problem in Brown County at a meatpacking plant, why you are keeping two-thirds of the state from, from opening up with appropriate social distancing rules. But but those are those are the hard numbers that are out there. Again, since I've been looking at this regionally across the state, there is not a widespread spread of coronavirus. There are areas that are hot spots, but so far, we have kind of a one-size-fits-all approach that we're not letting stores in La Crosse open up uh, until we, we get we get Milwaukee County under control. All right, so those are the numbers. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620, um, and I, I sent out the, the latest kind of comparisons. All right, when we come back, there's an interesting piece in the Wall Street Journal that questions... I don't know, some of the assumptions we've made in closing down the state, the country. And I want to share with you one of their conclusions, and then you know, we're, going to have a con- we're going to have a conversation which might be somewhat controversial. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Hey, just a couple other interesting uh, interesting pieces of data, just to include. Okay, we had we had this huge spike in, in Brown County. Um, again, it's, it's the outbreak at the meat plants is what they, they think has led to that. Um, interestingly enough, and, and this is very, very good news, most of the people getting sick in Brown County, at least so far, it, it hasn't led to fatalities. There, there have been... Only two fatalities, and this is good, in Brown County, the entire time they've been keeping numbers, and only one in, in the last week. And again, I don't know if that's traceable to you know somebody who got infected at the meat plant or whatever, but, but the bottom line is you haven't seen a huge spike in, in deaths. And, as, and again, it's very, very good. 
What we have not seen across the state is you have not seen healthcare systems being by hospital. You haven't seen hospital beds being overwhelmed. Now I understand in a couple areas you've got people who work like in the ERs and all who you know putting in the seventy-hour weeks. But but in general, this concern about oh we're we're not going to have hospital beds for people that that has not turned out to be the case. Okay, so here's the other interesting data, and let me give you the Wisconsin data, and then we're going we're to talk about the bigger picture. Um, so far, what they estimate is that all in all done, um, 1,400 people have been hospitalized. 40% of those who were hospitalized are people over the age of 70. And 70% of the 272 people that have died attributable to COVID-19 are, are over 70. And that leads me into piece that's in the Wall Street Journal. That, that here's the headline, and it caught my attention. It says, do lockdowns save many lives? And it says, in most places, the data says no. And it says, the speed with which officials shuttered the economy appears not to be a factor in COVID deaths. And, and it's interesting because what they start doing is they look and they compare communities the death rate, which is, I think, that, that's one of the things you have to look at in communities that shut down versus communities or countries that did not shut down. For example, here's what Sweden did. And I understand Sweden isn't Milwaukee, but, you know, th- there might be some parallels into some parts of the state. All right. What Sweden did is Sweden looked at it and they said, look, here, here's the deal. People over 65 account for about 80% of the COVID-19 deaths. And so that that's just, it. as we know, for a lot of people, and there are some exceptions, but for a lot of people, you, you get this, you, you get sick, you get better, you move on. All right, it's the people who are in the higher risk groups that this is particularly dangerous and deadly. And the older you are, the numbers increase dramatically. Over 60, you're at a higher risk group. Over 70, you're in a higher risk group. Over 80, you're in a higher risk group. At any age, if you are, if you've got hypertension, high blood pressure, or you've got, um, you are obese, or you've got essentially unmanaged diabetes, you are in a higher risk group. And if you're older and you have any of these conditions, you're in a particularly high risk group. So here's what here's what Sweden did. Sweden didn't shut down the entire country. What they did is for seniors, people in the higher risk groups, over 65, they asked them to shelter in place. Since Sweden had no pediatric deaths, no kids, they didn't shut down elementary and middle schools. Um, Their containment was targeted at the people who were in the highest risk group. And so they didn't shut down stores. They didn't shut down restaurants. They didn't shut down most businesses. But they targeted, uh, again, the protection at the people who were the most vulnerable. And you know what they found? Their, their death rate is not, their death rate is no greater, and actually it's less than a lot of the countries that have done the, the total shutdown. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again, I, I understand why we've done what we've done as a state and as a country because we're trying to wrestle with, you know, how do you deal with this novel sort of situation. But let us be honest. 
Keeping the entire state or the entire country shut down is not sustainable. You are creating incredible economic damage, and people are starting to rebel against it. You know, people, just as a general rule, are are going to, at some point in time, particularly as the weather gets nicer, they're going to start rebelling uh, against this. Does it make sense, moving forward, to start focusing on things like, okay, let us encourage everybody to continue social distancing, but let us target our efforts, particularly at those people who are most vulnerable, the, the folks who are older. And for them, maybe it's, hey, we want to encourage you to continue shopping, you know, at the hours that we've set aside, you know, at late at night or early in the morning or, or whatever. Does that make sense to try to start targeting this to the people that are most at risk, recognizing that for at least a large chunk of people, even if you get sick, you're, you're going to recover and, and you're going to be fine. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Moving forward, do we need to maybe start rethinking how we have approached this? And, and I will tell you, I mean, I think people are, are on to the whole idea of social distancing, and I think it's going to be a long time before anybody wants to go back and sit, you know, in a stadium, baseball stadium with 40-some thousand people. That's just going to be the reality. But do we need to be a little more surgical moving forward as to how we deal with this, recognizing that, okay, we've really got to concentrate our efforts on protecting those people who are most at risk. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more of your calls in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Robert in Milwaukee. Robert, good afternoon. Hey, how's it going? And good afternoon, long-time listener. Thank um, you. What do you think? Just, oh, you know what? I have to completely agree with you with what Sweden did. Because, yes, you have a lot of folks out here who, you know, I mean, they are, they're diabetic. I mean, they're older and they're on mm-hmm. this issue. But yet again, you do have folks out here that are younger, that are healthier, that can go to work. So absolutely, what Sweden did was, you know what, keep the folks who could be affected to this, keep them at home. Well, that, then, Robert, thanks for the call. Yeah, no, that, that's, you know, no, thank, I mean, that, see, and that's, that's what they're starting to find. And, and the data that we're starting to see in Wisconsin and, and nationwide sort of bears that out. This... This can be devastating for people who have some of those pre-underlying conditions or, you know, the people, again, as you get older, you, you become more at, at risk. But it's a question of kind of targeting these. And, look, and I understand we're, you know, we, we, we go into this kind of flying blind, so we, we shut down the entire state, et cetera, et cetera. I continue to believe that this is not sustainable moving forward. I, I just don't think people are going to accept it. I also don't think that we have any idea the economic devastation that we are starting to cause, which I understand, you know, you, you balance that out with the public health needs. But don't you have to tailor this, now that we see how things are going, into trying to be to be smart and saying, 
okay, let's figure out who are we really trying to protect the most. Where are the hospitalizations coming from? Where are who are the the sick people? And and do we need to target that? I mean, obviously, one of the things we've learned is, for example, you know, nursing homes huge issue because you've got a vulnerable patient population that ticks off a, a lot of those, those different characteristics, and then you get COVID nineteen in there, and you have just devastating sort of consequences. It's going to be interesting to me to see with this outbreak in Brown County, has there been a substantial spike in in hospitalizations? Because, I mean, there hasn't, at least thus far, and it's really good news, been a substantial spike in deaths, which indicates to me that, that the people who were getting sick are probably, in general, younger, in general, healthier type of people who are able to kind of roll with this. Now, nobody wants to get sick. I mean, I I understand that, which is why I think, you know, regardless of what the governor ends up doing and when the governor ends up doing or what the Supreme Court says the governor can do, you know, people are going to be smart moving forward. You're going to see a lot of masks for the foreseeable future. You're going to see this kind of social distancing that goes on. But from a government perspective, you know, how much pressure do you need? This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. Again, I don't want people to misunderstand me. Just because I, I, I don't think that a one-size-fits-all approach at this point in time makes sense doesn't mean that I think that you, you don't tailor whatever the response is going to be to, to different areas. For example, I have a very, very dear friend who's in his 70s has a respiratory situation who lives in the Brown County area. Well, okay, that you... I, I would encourage my, my friend to go out very rarely, and when he does, you know, obviously you want to take all the, the precautions that you possibly can. All right, so that, but that's, that's appropriate there. Um, nursing homes, for example, I mean, I think the new reality is you're going to have all sorts of new rules that are appropriate for people who are in nursing homes and people who visit nursing homes and people who work in nursing homes. Okay, so that, that's all appropriate. But at the same time, because you've got that concern, does it make any sense to say to the guy that runs the little luggage store in Chippewa County where there's almost no COVID virus and there hasn't been any for uh, essentially since this all started, does it make sense to say to him, you, you can't go out? And, and that's why I just think we need to get smarter moving forward as we try to figure out how can you safely reopen the state. And whenever I talk about this, people say, well, don't you understand that if, if you open parts of the state, people are going to flock to those parts and they're going to bring COVID-19 with them. Well, okay, first of all, I heard that several weeks ago when we were told about the election. And again, I don't want to argue about whether or not it makes sense to have the election or not. That, that's, a, that's a whole different story. But we were told people are going to be dying right and left, and you're going to see this huge explosion. And, and now weeks later, we know that that, thankfully, did not come true. I mean, there hasn't been, there wasn't a huge spike in coronavirus cases caused by the election. Matter of fact, I mean, there's just, I think what Milwaukee County said, well, we've been able to find 40 people who voted in person or worked at the polls who tested positive for COVID-19. Okay, well, that's not even saying that they got it, that process. They could have gotten it going to the Costco or touching the, you know, what, whatever, touching the, the, the gas pumps. There, there's no causation there at all. But this idea that, okay, well, suddenly if you um, allow barber shops in lacrosse to open up that means that you're going to have a flood of people driving up to those barber shops from uh milwaukee i i think that's 
I think that's a silly assumption to make. But even so, all right, if all of a sudden then that turns out and you have just a huge caravan of cars going up there and the people that are coming up are bringing coronavirus with them, well, then, then you, you be nimble enough to say, okay, we have to, we have to figure out what we're going to do to stop this. But this idea that, oh, gee, people are going to travel and so that means we can't keep a county by county or a regional approach, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be holding yourself hostage for a long time because all right, Chicago to Milwaukee, for example, is a lot closer than Milwaukee to um, Eau Claire or La Crosse. So are we going to say, well, gee, we can't open up any of southern Wisconsin because you might have people from Chicago that are going to decide they're going to drive here. I mean, you have to, I, I think, just look at the data and then watch what happens. And if it turns out that, oh, yes, you've had this huge migration and all of a sudden the numbers are starting to spike, well, then you, you adapt. But to keep everything locked down on the possibility that this might happen and this might happen and this might happen, to me, again, it makes no sense. You want to concentrate your efforts on protecting those people who are most likely to have really, really bad consequences if they happen to get it. Let's spend our effort trying to protect those folks. And that's how it seems to me that you end up saving lives. And it becomes what I'm going to describe as sustainable. Because, I, I mean, I will tell you, just driving around on Saturday and Sunday, nice day. I saw all sorts of people out. I saw parking lots that were full at various, like the Costco's and the Walmart's and the Target's and the Menards, they're absolutely full. So people are, people are going out, you know, and people are starting to interact, and they're starting to be smart about it. I, I think, you know, you see people with masks, and, you know, you go through the aisles of some of these stores, and everybody gives everybody else a, a wide berth, and, and all that's good. And that's, to me, that is the recipe for moving forward. But as the weather starts to get nicer and people start to, I, I think, rebel more and more about the, these mandatory closures, I, I think you, you've, you've got to start recognizing that we're going to open th this stuff up. And you're starting to see governors in other states that are doing exactly that. Okay, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about the announcement saying the 3rd of July fireworks at the lakefront are off. What does that mean for the rest of the summer? If you're on the line, please stick around. Uh, this is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. It is the end of April, but the, the summer in Wisconsin, which is too short to begin with, is slipping away. Summerfest, of course, which was supposed to be at the end of June into early July, that's been postponed until September. You have the ethnic festivals that were scheduled for July that have largely been uh, canceled. Uh, Festa Italiana, German Fest, Irish Fest in August, th those have now been canceled for, for 2020. Um, you're starting to see other festivals that are being closed. I just saw the taste, uh, the, the, the big beer festival the, that they have in Madison every year in August. That, that's been put off um, because organizers don't believe that they they given the uncertainty it's tough to go out and to get commitments from vendors and volunteers and you just we, we don't know what it's going to look like and more importantly even if the state is quote unquote opened up and i i got to imagine it it will be by then again i just don't think a, a lockdown is is sustainable but even if 
you, you say, okay, we're, we're going to have these different events, that doesn't mean that people are going to come to them. Because I, I think it's going to be a long time before people feel comfortable, not, not necessarily going out to a, to a restaurant and having a meal, but I think it's going to, or going to a driving range and hitting golf balls. But I think it's going to be a long time before people feel comfortable getting into a, a large group surrounded by, you know, thousands of other strangers, which makes me wonder seriously about, you know, what, what pro sports are going to look like, at least for, for this year. And, and I think as far as, you know, bringing back basketball or hockey before the, the late fall and at least trying to play in, in arenas in front of people, I, I just don't see it happening. I, don't, I think the same thing is true about Major League Baseball. I, I don't believe that we're going to be attending games at Miller Park th- this year. Now, they might play games at Miller Park because it's, it's a closed roof, but in front of fans, I, I just don't see that happening. The college football season... Don't know because, I mean, candidly, a lot of colleges are considering not bringing their students back on campus for the fall semester. And if you're not going to have students on campus, how can you have the quote-unquote student athletes on campus? NFL, right now I know the NFL is proceeding as if there's going to be a season. But seriously, I mean, the the season starts, you know, after early September. You know, can you imagine 75,000 people pouring into Lambeau Field and, and sitting on those bleachers next to each other. I mean, it's it's a huge issue. July 3rd, big doings around here. It starts with the, the it starts with parades that are on the third and the fourth. The night of July 3rd, you have the huge fireworks at the lakefront that attract tens of thousands of people. American Family Insurance stepped up big time to to save the. The, the fireworks last year, along with a number of area business people, including um, Ted Kellner, acquaintance of mine, big time philanthropist who you know really stepped up, did a community service by by keeping the fireworks in the f- last year, and the fireworks were supposed to be this year as well. They've announced today that those fireworks are off, and again, it's the uncertainty caused by coronavirus, coupled with the whole notion of our. Would people flock to the lakefront? Would you have people set up their tents and go down there and, you know, pull off their rope off their different areas and things like that? So far, with a couple exceptions, like Glendale has already canceled their 4th of July parade and fireworks. But so far, I mean, a, a lot of other areas in the state still have their fireworks on. But we're, we're already at the end of April. Planning has to occur. And you've got the psychology of people as to whether they're willing to go out or not. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I don't take any pleasure in saying this, and I'm the guy that's arguing that we need to be kind of smarter uh, about opening up the the state, and we need to do it sooner rather than later because there's ways I think we can do it and do it safely. But having said that, these large gatherings, I just... I see this summer as a complete and total washout. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you would, would you be willing to go and sit in large groups of people to watch you know, public fireworks or to, I don't know, attend festivals, even if they had them? Because, I mean, I understand why everybody's closing this stuff up for 2020, because even if you decided to go ahead with it, I mean, I, I think the reality is people just aren't going to, to go. 
And I, I think the one thing that a lot of us are watching is what happens with State Fair. I love State Fair. I love broadcasting from State Fair. Chances are, if you've come by our broadcast facility and you've watched me do my show over the last 22 years, chances are maybe we've come out and we've been able to have a little conversation. I, I love it. but And I know they're holding on, and I'm not encouraging them to cancel, but as I see events now July and August being canceled on a regular basis, I, I'm wondering how, how you can do this. I'm, I'm wondering what September is going to look like for the revised Summerfest shows. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I mean, I just, I, I think we're almost at this point where whether it's ball games or concerts or festivals or firework shows, it's certainly the summer of 2020 is just looking like a huge write-off because I think even if they had them, people would not go. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Gru is lining up the calls. We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It was a September to remember in 2019 for the Brewers in the middle of a stretch where they won 18 of 20 games. They were in St. Louis with a chance to catch the Cardinals for the NL Central Crown. Join us this Wednesday, April 29th, for our next Brewers Classic. Two outs, bottom of the ninth, one down, bases loaded, Ryan Braun at the plate. Remember how it turns out? Don't miss our next Brewers Classic, sponsored by Biofuels Association, Chevrolet, West Bend Insurance, Habish Habish and Rotier, and Toyota. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, Third of July fireworks have just been canceled. American Family Insurance, the Brewers, and the, some of the private philanthropists, they just said, look, the continuing uncertainty of the pandemic and concern for the health and safety of participants makes it the right decision. We look forward to bringing the fireworks back in 2021, which makes eminent sense to me. We're, we're starting to lose the entire summer. As far as I can tell, and somebody points this out, the EA Air Venture for the end of July is still on but we'll see how likely that is to happen. State Fair at this point in time is still on, although keep in mind that the Exhibition Center at State Fair has been turned into a an overflow hospital for COVID-19 patients. Now, thankfully, it doesn't look like that's going to be used. I mean, again, not knock on wood, because we haven't come close to exceeding hospital capacity. But I mean, who knows how long that's going to stay. Are we losing the summer of, of 2020? And the more... The more this happens, the more I think it is. Okay, number of texts here. Jeff, I would absolutely go to a large gathering. The longer we stay away from large gatherings, the more reluctant that we will ever be to gather again. Well, okay, I, you know, for, for some people, maybe, but there is this kind of psychological impact that's going on. Jeff, I'm a 62-year-old crowd-loving festival lover. I haven't missed Summerfest since I started going in 1977. I will not be going to any gatherings until there is a vaccine available. Well, see, and that's that goes back to what I started talking about at the beginning of this hour. There, there's there's different people who are in different risk cat classes, and uh, again, the older you get, you're over 60, you're in a higher risk group than somebody who, who's over. 30 um, or who's under 30. But yeah, I mean, I think that that's a factor. It's going to be weighing on a lot of people. Uh, Jeff, I have no concern. I will go and I definitely would 
go. Um, Jeff, I agree we need to find a way to slowly open up the economy, but um, you know, I don't think people are going to follow any rules. Just look at the beaches that opened up around the country. Jeff, love the show. I still think that if they have events in September, people will show up. Big groups of people, you know, went to spring break in Florida. They don't think they can get sick. Well, okay, some people might not think they're going to get sick, but other, I just think there's a large chunk of, of people who are going to be reluctant to go to those events. Is it, is it 50%? Don't know. Is it, is it 30%? Don't know. But I also think it's, it's a huge, it's just, it's huge. Jeff, I feel drained. I'm losing a desire to attend any event. Jeff, I would feel no different than I ever have. Um, the whole thing is like the snowstorm that winds up being an inch. An inch, people need to realize that. Well, I don't know. I, I mean, it, it again, it depends on if you're somebody who, if you're somebody for whom that this, you're going to catch coronavirus, you, you might be asymptomatic or you're going to get better right away, or you're somebody for whom this could be incredibly, incredibly devastating, including fatal. But there's enough people out there, I think, that are of a particular situation that they're, um, they just want to rather be safe than sorry. Now, there is going to be a time, I mean, I can't imagine a world moving forward where we're not going to football games and we're not going to baseball games and we're not going to festivals and we're not going to concerts to see our, our favorite performers perform or we're not going to Las Vegas. I mean, there is going to be a time when I think people feel comfortable going back in into those groups but for the next couple months, I don't think that that's going to be the case. And, again, I think the longer time goes on, the more we're going to see these large gatherings, which are going to be the last to, to be allowed. I think, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a challenge, even once they start opening up restaurants, and even with some of the social distancing and the spacing stuff, I think there's going to be people that are going to be reluctant to go back in, into the restaurants, or into these shopping malls. And can you imagine if you've got people that are reluctant to go back into their favorite restaurants or the shopping malls, how long it's going to take them to feel comfortable going, I, I don't know, in, into an area where you're standing side by side with thousands and thousands of strangers. It's going to be a long way back. That's just the reality. All right, when we come back, there's lots of pressure to reopen there's a lot of people who think, no, we, we need to stay closed, and if we got to stay closed for another year, we're willing to do it. I've had some observations about some of the stuff I saw driving around over the weekend that makes me wonder, you know, how feasible it is to continue the status quo for another month, two months, three months. We'll talk about that. Lots of stuff coming up on today's program. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Tony Evers having a press availability scheduled for 1.30 this afternoon. Um, we have been carrying those and will continue to carry them. Um, hopefully the governor will give us some updates as to when he plans to start allowing the state to reopen a little bit quicker. Um, Melissa made a reference to this story. It, it's it's a bad one. We, we don't have all the details, but if there was um, a domestic shooting this morning at a home um, 
like near North 12th and West Hadley Streets in Milwaukee. They say five people were killed. Um, the victims were between the ages of 14 and 41. Um, apparently the, the shooting was a little bit before 11 o'clock this morning. 911 call was made. A man told dispatchers his family was dead. Um, so, again, five deaths sounds really, really ugly. Um, it, it doesn't get much worse than that, and we'll continue to bring you more details as we know more about it. But that's the, that is the breaking crime story of the day. Okay, I, I have made this argument. I, I, just, I do not think maintaining a lockdown is going to be feasible moving forward. And I base that just on the, the weather starting to get nicer. I was out and about over the weekend. I, I'm just seeing all these people out and, and about. I saw jam-packed parking lots at, at various stores. And I think more and more people are kind of of the point that, okay, we, we've got to start opening things up because they're, they're, they're going out. And at some point in time, the, the question becomes how how much longer can you force people against their will to stay home? Keep in mind, once you lock up, open, start opening up the state, there's nothing that says that, that people have to go out. I mean, there's nothing that says you've got to go to a restaurant or do things like that. And my guess is there's going to be a lot of people, including those people who are in the high-risk categories, who aren't going to feel comfortable going out for a long time. And that's all well and good. But there is no question that what we've been going through for the last month ha- has changed the way we shop and the way we engage in, in commerce. And I had a kind of interesting experience over the weekend. The um, It was on Saturday. My wife needed new tennis shoes. And, of course, you know, you, you can't you could just go and, and normally you would go to a store and you'd you'd browse and you know exactly what you want and you go and you, you find these and you, you try them on and, and you buy them. Okay, that, that's that's not happening nowadays. The Most of the shoe stores are closed and the department stores are closed in general, so that, that's not an option. But she knew what brand she wanted and she was able to find them at one of uh, online and they had one pair left at one of the, the sporting goods stores that is not open to the general public, but they're taking curbside orders. So, you know, we go on the Internet, then you put in the information, order these things, you know, pay for it with the credit card. I get an email about three minutes after we place the order saying, okay, well, you can come up to the store and just pull, pull in front and here, you know, on, on the email they sent me, just, just click this little button and somebody will, will bring them out. I said, oh, okay, well, let's, let's see how this works. And so we did it. It was uh, Saturday afternoon. We go up there. We pull in the thing. I pull out my, little, my phone. I kind of hit the button. I'm thinking, okay, we'll see how this works. Two minutes later, nice young woman wearing, you know, gloves and a mask comes out, and she's got, she's got the shoes, you know, wrapped in a, in a plastic bag, comes up to the car, you know, gives them to me. I think they asked what kind of car you were driving or something like that. You know, comes up and, um, again, gives us the shoes, and we're off to the races. Yesterday, um, we had we had gone to take a walk with uh, an, some with two friends of ours, another couple who we just hadn't seen in ages. So we're going to decide, okay, we're we're going to go take a walk. And then after we get done with the walk. Um, they say, why don't you come back to our place? We'll sit outside on the patio. We had already made arrangements to like, order a pizza for dinner. We'll go get the pizza. We'll sit outside on the patio, and we can talk. And we'll appropriately, you know, maintaining the social distancing. And so we said, yeah, that sounds like fun. So I go to pick up the, the pizzas, and I pull into the, the pizza place, and it's in a shopping center. And in front of the pizza place, I would say, this is 5 o'clock, and we had ordered the pizza, I would say there's, 
six or seven cars when I get there. They've got one employee wearing a mask with gloves and a jacket. As a car pulls in in front of the place, they come out, they, they ask you your name. And, you know, I said, okay, this is it. And they said, okay, we'll have somebody else come out with the pizza. I was paying cash, so somebody else comes out and says, okay, the, the pizzas are this amount of money. Give them the money. Then, you know, ten minutes later, somebody else comes out wearing the mask with the pizzas, and, and they to do it and, and you're off to the races you don't have to go inside didn't have to go inside to pick up then purchase the tennis shoes didn't have to go inside to pick up the pizza Th- this whole idea of curbside delivery and it, it's just it's amazing how easy it was our number 855-616-1620 that's the acunet mortgage talk and text line i am legitimately curious is is this curbside pickup this type of delivery, not having to get out of your car, is this the wave of the future? Even after the stores open up, even after we loosen the requirements of being able to like go into restaurants and things like that, which hopefully is going to happen sooner rather than later, but even after that happens, is this the new normal? Now, I know a lot of grocery stores already have that. You can call ahead, and then you can pick up your groceries and things like that. But what we're seeing now on a widespread level is more and more businesses engaging in this. It's, it's kind of like curbside B, curbside delivery. You order ahead of time. You order online. You never have to get out of your car. Is this going to be the new normal? And will, moving forward, Will stores be expected to continue to do this? Again, for the people who, gee, I, I just I know what I want. I've ordered it over the internet. Here, I just I don't want to get out of my car. Just bring it out to me. Is this the new normal? And is this how we are going to shop in the future? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you. I, I mean, there, there's always going to be people who want to go into the stores and things like that. But I think. One of the things that we're learning is that people can do this. I think there's a lot of people who like to do this, and I think a lot of businesses are going to have trouble going back to the old ways completely. I think that there's going to be kind of an expectation that, that here, this is how people are going to get their pizzas in the, in the future. You pull up and we'll bring it out to the car. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will this be one of the new normals moving forward? Will businesses be expected to continue with the curbside drop-offs of things like that? 855-616-1620. Rue is back at the studio lining up the calls. We'll discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Denise in Bayview. Denise, good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Denise. Hi. Hey, okay, so here's what's happening is that my cat has run out of pain medicine. So I have to go in for a vet appointment, and I didn't want to. So, But she said what they're doing is curbside vet appointments, where you pull right. into the parking lot. This, this cracks me up. You pull into the parking lot, and you do you call, and you say that, you, that you're there. And then they do all the history stuff or whatever over the phone. And then someone comes out and gets the cat, and then the vet does her vet appointment, and then they bring her back out. And it was uh-huh. genius. Well, right, because so I mean, you don't have to. You don't have to go in. It's it's this. It's kind of this extra element right. of, of personal service that's out there. Um, would you like to see him continue to do that stuff moving forward? 
Um, well, if this virus is still around, I mean, that's the only thing. You know, I'd, I'd love to be face-to-face with the vet, you know, with questions right. and stuff. I'm sure that will be on the phone. I'm thinking that. But um, right. I think it might be. Yeah, I know. You know no, the, thanks the, for the, No, I, I get it. No, no, thanks for the call. No, I mean, I think this is it. This is, it, it's actually, it's one of the reasons when I when I rail about us not opening up the, the state in some respects, it, it's kind of like they're, they're right by where I live. There, there's a veterinary clinic that does exactly that. They, they offer the, the curbside thing. You pull up, you, you, they come out, somebody comes out and takes your pet and takes it in. Right next to the vet clinic is, is a dog groomer. And I, I understand I obsess about this, but it's kind of like it's the same sort of thing. You pull up, you, you, this is how they could operate. You pull up, you tell them that you're here, they come out, they, they take your dog. They go in, then you go back and pick up your dog later on. So, you know, why we have those businesses closed makes no sense. But to me, but again, this is the whole nature of how things are, are changing. And it's really kind of a, a throwback to the, the older days where you had, you had, um, again, the, the nature of personal service. I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember when I first started driving. They, they actually had they had they had gasoline stations that had full service. You know, and somebody would actually come out and pump your gas, and, and they then they check your oil if you wanted them to do that. And then we completely and totally got away from that. I, I wonder if we're going to kind of come back to that a little bit. I was telling the story about how we were picking up the tennis shoes. I, I needed gas, and so we were right across the way from. A Costco. So we, we go over to the Costco, and I'm going to pull into the gas pump. And at Costco, they weren't pumping your gas for you, but they had two guys out there in masks. And what they were doing is they were wipe after a car would use would would pump gas. They would come by and they would they would sanitize the, the gas pump. And then you know you'd get out, and you'd pump it, and you know I'd, I'd say hi and how you doing. But I mean they actually had people on scene. It's it's I think the. I, I think it's the the whole notion of of this this new way of doing things and, and making it perhaps more convenient for people. Jeff, I just did curbside pickup of books um, at, from the New Berlin Library. It worked perfectly. Um, yeah, it's you, you've got that there, uh, Jeff. People go places and do things for the experience. Curbside pickup is not an experience, especially with restaurants. Yes and no. I mean, I, I appreciate that. Yes and no. It, is is curbside delivery ever going to change the experience of going in and sitting down and having a meal? No. But at the same time, if you are running a pizza parlor or something, I, I think that this notion that, hey, People like to, to be waited on. People like to have somebody come and bring their, their food to them. I, I think that's an appeal. And also, for, for a lot of stuff, yeah, yes, there, there's some things that you're going to want to go and do. You know, you just, gee, I, I want to, there are people who are buyers. I'm a buyer, and then there's people who are shoppers. I hate to shop. If I, if I need something, it's like I know what my size is. I'm, I'm going to order the blue jeans or, or whatever. I'm going to order the Levi's, and then I'm going to have them delivered, or if I've got to pick them up, that's fine. I don't need to go into a store and try out six pairs of things. I just know what I want. I'm a buyer. Shoppers are always going to go, want to go in and touch the stuff, but I think more and more people, I think they're just going to start enjoying the fact that they're um, you know, going to be able to, to go and pick up stuff. Um, Jeff, stores will not like customers coming in um, just as your wife just got her shoes by having them brought out, if she had to go in, 99% chance she would buy other things. 
Well, maybe not my wife, but I understand the the premise. I mean, that's 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 the, that's the whole idea of you know, like here you you got to go in to pick up the milk, and then you buy the milk, and then we sell you the lottery tickets or whatever. And I appreciate that. Um, Jeff, I see, if you recall, when I was a little boy riding the back seat of my grandma's car, she would do errands in so many places. She would stop. They would bring things out or put things in her car. This is the way it worked. Um, yes. Jeff, um, uh, my spouse hates shopping in stores, doesn't mind sitting at the kitchen table ordering groceries. He's more than happy to go pick them up curbside, right? I think that that's kind of the, the dynamic that's there. Um, Jeff, have picked up several things curbside like that in recent weeks. Seems like a very convenient blend of online ordering and yet still local prompt acquisition of the product. Yeah, see, I think that, you know, this, I think that this is uh, exactly where the the case is. And I, I think it's one of the ways that you can patronize the local businesses at the same time you can get the stuff right away. In any event, I, I don't be surprised if... Once we get closer to being back to normal, this is a situation that you start to see more and more people engaging in, more and more people doing, because they've come to expect that added convenience. And I think the smart businesses are going to be able to say, okay, let's let's figure out what worked out of this, what the customers like, and let's keep it rolling, and then, you know, hopefully we'll be able to service the other customers as well. Uh, let's take a quick break. Back with much more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. Uh, you know, the governor's saying, well, we can't take a regional approach to opening up because, well, what, what happens if there's an outbreak in, in rural communities? Again, the numbers are the vast majority of the state does not have any sort of dramatic increase of, of COVID-19 cases. The, the curve is not flat. There isn't even a, a curve. And I guess it, it's always possible that, Gee, you know, you could have all sorts of people from that Green Bay packing plant that decide to drive to the western part of the state, but but isn't that possible anyways? And, of course, the governor pointing out that, well, tens of thousands of Wisconsinites continue to work, and uh, that that's great. It's probably not a lot of help to the 300,000-plus Wisconsinites who have had to file for unemployment, and that number is going up. number of texts, people saying, did, did I hear correctly? They're also including the downward trend of the flu as well to open up Wisconsin and lift the quarantine. Yes, that's, that's what they are um, – that's what they're doing. Um, they're including the flu as – well, and golf courses are, of course, open, but there's all sorts of restrictions on the golf courses uh, on the golf courses as they operate. So that's where we stand. Hey, got an interest. There's an interesting story that's kind of fl- flying under the the radar. Um, but if if you live in the city of Milwaukee, you you might want to check your your mailbox. Uh, there's a statement that was just issued by Alderman Mark Borkowski. And let me let me read the statement to to you. The statement says, "What the heck is going on in the city of Milwaukee's assessor's office?" That's the question that I and thousands of other city property owners have today. As over the weekend, city property owners received notices of reassessment, and a great number of them were crazy high. One assessment in the 11th district went up an additional. 
$185,000. And the home is now worth 413000 So you had a, a house that was previously assessed in, what would that be, like the, the 210s or something like that, that suddenly is worth 413000 The statement by Borkowski continues, you read that right, up $185,000. It begs the question, why? Is the assessor's office so out of touch that for years the house was greatly undervalued? And this is a home, not a business. Given that we are in the midst of a global health pandemic and financial crisis not seen in the U.S. since the Great Depression, I will be asking my colleagues to join me in sponsoring a resolution to freeze all assessments at pre-assessment levels until further notice. Yes, it will cost the city financially to do this, but we should not add any additional financial or emotional stress to city of Milwaukee taxpayers. If the city has to tighten its belt or slash programs, so be it. It would be unconscionable for the city to raise property assessments at this time. We need to help Milwaukeeans stay in their homes, not force them out of their homes because they can no longer afford Milwaukee's taxes. That would be far worse for our neighbors and city. These are property assessments on steroids, and it's wholly unacceptable. Hmm. Now, it is interesting that if this, in fact, you know, happened, and there are massive new reassessments, it is, of course, interesting that it comes out immediately after the, the local elections, not, not beforehand. But it does appear to be staggering to me that you could have assessments going up like, like that. All right, I'm 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know if what the alderman is talking about is just one sort of isolated situation, but he seems to imply that all over the city, people are getting reassessment notices which are dramatically jacking up the the, the value, or at least the alleged value of, of their property. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, and he, of course, is calling on, hey, let, let, let's freeze this right now, because the, the very last thing you want to do, given the fact that you have 300,000 people so far in the state of Wisconsin who've lost their jobs, the, the last thing you want to do is suddenly jack up taxes by massive reassessments of property, claiming property is worth more now at a time where, candidly, I mean, good luck selling your home, at least in the short term. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did you have your property reassessed, and was it dramatically increased? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Wow, it, it, it's kind of amazing. At a time where, because of everything that's going on, that the housing market is pretty, let's face it, it's going to be pretty much frozen for a while, and apparently assessments are coming out, jacking up values of people's property. Jeff, I live in Bayview. I live in a modest home. We've made zero improvements in three years. Our assessment just went up $25,000. Um, Jeff, um, my assessment rose from 114000 to 160. Five thousand, hundred and sixty-five thousand. Are they crazy, Jeff? Um, I just received my notice. My property value increased eighteen thousand two hundred dollars. I had made no improvements. Wow. Mark from District Six in Milwaukee. My property assessment went up by a hundred and thirty percent. 
130%. Jeff, I received an assessment notice on Saturday from the Village of Brown Deer. My assessment increased 35000 from 145000 to 180000 Again, no improvements at all. Jeff, City of Milwaukee assessments. Between Bayview and the airport, my duplex went up $26,000. Friend near 76th in Cleveland, single family went up $13,000. You wonder... Breaking story. What's going on here? Paul in Milwaukee. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Long-time listener, few-time caller. Uh, Jeff, okay, I got mine on Saturday. I live in the city of Milwaukee. It went up 325 33%. They're going to adjust the MIM rate by 35% down, then it's a wash. But you know as well as I do. They won't adjust that mill rate down that much. Is it to no. pay for the train downtown? Hmm. Well, I, I, well, I, I just okay. Now, now let me ask you this because this is the bottom line. The, the your new assessment up thirty plus percent or whatever it is. Do you think if you put right. your house on the market today, you could get that out of your house? I know there are houses down the street from me that are asking more than what mine's assessed at. But then again, I haven't been inside that house. And again, no improvements really, except for a few years ago, right. new roof. But that's maintenance, you know. So right. I'm amazed. i got to see the mill rate and the tax rate. Because like I told the screener, last year my tax assessed value went down $3,000. And now this reevaluation went up 32.5%. <laughs> Thanks for the call. Well, it, it must have been a heck of a year in your neighborhood if if we're trying to find you know accurate assessments. Brenda in Milwaukee. Brenda, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Long time listener. Um, I live in the far northwest side of Milwaukee in a 40 year old uh, condominium complex, and we have four different styles of condos there: a townhouse, apartment style, loft, and home style. Well, my taxes doubled. They went from 700-something a year to 14-something a year. And I appealed it twice, and I lost, and I was pretty frustrated. Yeah. <laughs> okay, do you, do you think uh, the new assessment for your property, if you put it on the market, do you think you could sell it for what the city says it, its value is? Um, I doubt it because I have all original windows and doors. Yeah. Um, I live on a fixed income, so I yeah. don't have the money to fix it up. Um, absolutely. So. Thank, thanks for calling. No, I mean, I, no, I, I, I get it. I mean, it, it is interesting, too, also, that these are hitting after the election. I point that out as well. Nancy in Milwaukee. Nancy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I live on Hi, the very, very far south side of Milwaukee. We live in a ranch house built in 1956. My taxes just went up $25,000. 25000 Have you made major improvements to your home or anything like that in the last oh, year or so? No. You know, when I got this thing today and I talked to my husband, we're looking around like, what's changed? You know, look up the street, look down the street. This is, this is the same. Nothing has changed here. Uh, well, it, it, you're, you're, suddenly you're, you've found all this extra equity in your house. Thanks for the call, Nancy. I, we're going to got some more thoughts, and we're just being swamped with text to this. We're going to pick it up after the news just for one more segment. But y you are apparently getting very, very unpleasant surprises if you live in, in Milwaukee concerning, well, maybe it is pleasant, if you can actually sell your house 
in today's market, not maybe a, in today's market, given what is going on with coronavirus, 300,000 people unemployed in Wisconsin, um, okay, all right, you know, what's going on with the city? We continue the conversation in just a moment. If you want to join us, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line back after the news. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Well, talk about adding insult to injury. Right before the break, I shared with you a, a press release put out by Milwaukee Alderman Mark Borkowski. Apparently, um, over the weekend and today, if you live in the city of Milwaukee, city property owners received notices of reassessment, and to describe, quote, the alderman, a great number of them were crazy high. He cites an example of one of his constituents. His value of the house allegedly went up $185,000 with no substantial improvements. And Borkowski says, is the assessor's office so out of touch that for years the house was greatly undervalued? Given that we are in the midst of a global health pandemic and financial crisis not seen in the U.S. since the Great Depression, I will be asking my colleagues to join me in sponsoring a resolution to freeze all assessments at pre-assessment levels until further notice. It will cost the city financially to do this, but we should not add any additional financial or emotional stress to the city of Milwaukee taxpayers. This is, of course, the same taxpayers who, as a result of coronavirus, 300,000 new unemployment claims in the state of Wisconsin. Estimates are that if this continues for another few weeks, you will see 30 to 35% of the businesses not reopening. And the city assessor just making massive, massive assessments of, of property. And as one of our uh, listeners pointed out, that you keep in mind that taxes are based on two things, the assessed value of your property and the, the mill rate. So if you, if you substantially reduce the mill rate, it all comes up in the wash. But who really thinks that that is, is going to happen? It's interesting to me also that these assessments hit, well, a couple weeks after the last election. 855-616-1620. Uh, Lucy on the west side. Hi, Lucy. Hi. Um, I'm going to expose my personal information, and I hope all my friends aren't listening. Um, I have two properties, my homestead, which is a... A nice house, but it's in Merrill Park, Pigsville area, where the values are not that high. And then I have a condo over on the east side, which right now I rent out. The condo went up. The condo was considerably more valuable than the house. Um, the condo went up by fifty-two thousand um, dollars. But I'm not probably going to contest that when the city may be right, and I had thought it was undervalued. They really never reassessed after the Great Recession. Um, in 2008, and I had bought it in 2014. Okay. But my homestead, <laughs> I'm really fried about. The old assessment was 102,000. I thought it was low. I thought if it had gone right. up to 120, I would have said that's fine. My new assessment is 177,300 dollars. That is so almost. It's gone up $74,900, on a house that was originally valued at the last assessment at 102. Now, okay, to be have, fair, have you done have you have you done any major improvements or anything to the house ago, that would jack up the value? <laughs> not not during this assessment period. I did two years ago. I always have the contractor pull permits, and the city always comes and inspects. 
because I don't want to get caught up short when I go to sell the house or have unpermitted sure. work. So I'm straight as an arrow on that, and the last the last real improvement was two years ago. I had a bathroom remodel. So it's not my improvements. They're, I know what they're going to tell me when I call. They're going to say property values have gone up. We finally accounted for um, the increases since the Great Recession, and it's true. My property tax plummeted. My assessment plummeted from 140 down to 99 because of all of the foreclosures in this neighborhood, the foreclosures and the lack of sales in the neighborhood. But 74,500 in one year. Come on. <laughs> no, th- thanks for the call. That, that, that's the point. And so, I mean, Borkowski's point is either the city assessor's office was just completely asleep as far as as not doing the values, uh, not getting accurate values, or you've had massive increases. And again, this is this is coming at a time where Wisconsinites in general and people in the city of Milwaukee, I think clearly in particular, are hurting, and they're hurting a, a lot. And you want to talk about adding insult to injury, it's the these massive values. And I understand the city's going to dare you to go ahead and challenge them, but I, I think, candidly, this is something that if I if I were living in the city of Milwaukee and I got something like this and it was completely and totally out of whack these these major sort of increases I'd be on my phone to the alderman going hey you know what's what's going on Jeff I just got my property tax reassessment went up 20 plus percent no improvements in 10 years Jeff I live in Bayview my property went up $23,000 yeah, twenty-three thousand. Is that the way they make their budget shortfalls? Most of the private sector pensions are gone or bankrupt. Um, okay, let's see. Uh, Jeff, I'm on South Ninety Seventh Street in Milwaukee. My neighbor's assessment, which he just showed me yesterday, went up thirty-six thousand dollars. No fixes. Um, nothing like that. Um, let's see, Jeff. Typically, there is a description of the reason for the change in assessed value. Are they giving a reason? No, no. Jeff, my taxes went up almost forty thousand dollars last year. Forty thousand dollars last year, Jeff. I have a duplex in Milwaukee that went from a hundred and one thousand to a hundred and fifty-two thousand on Eighty Seventh and Good Hope. So, wow, that that's great. You've suddenly found all this money. Um, your property's worth $50,000 more. Jeff, I live on the east side. Our assessment went from about 350000 to over 450000 Hmm. Jeff, notice these went out days after Barrett was sworn in. Well, there is kind of that interesting thing, too. Um, Jeff, I live in the Saveland Park area, south side Milwaukee. My assessment went up $30,000. Again, I have made no improvements at all. And the list goes on and on and on. Just massive increases in assessed property value. I'm not hearing anything about corresponding decreases in mill value. And, and look. Here's the other dynamic that is going on, and this is why this does add that insult to injury for people. The market, the housing market, is definitely different right now. And that's why it would have been wise to say, okay, look, let's, first of all, I mean, I think it is a fair question. If these values are, in fact, legitimate, this is what you could really save your, this is what you could really sell your place for. What, why why is it the massive increase? Has the property assessor been just you know out to lunch for for years and things like that? Secondly, 
what's going on with coronavirus and what is this doing to the real estate market in general, given the fact that you now have all sorts of people that are unemployed. Now, I understand we've had a hot real estate market, but, okay, that's the, the world is completely and totally different now. Will the city of Milwaukee taxpayers put up with this? Well, okay, you know, probably, because the city of Milwaukee taxpayers put up with a lot of stuff. But you might want to check your mailbox and take a look at it, because you might be in for a very, very rude surprise, um, given, you know, all the things that's going on in the world. And given all the stresses that are out there, well, this is just another little gift from the government. They are your friends. They are here to help you. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff, my mom lives in Bayview in a 100-year-old house. She has not made any improvements to it. Her value went up over $40,000. Bottom line, she would never be able to get the new value if she tried to list it. Well, um, yeah, there's, there is, is that out there. And again, uh, you know, I, I think the city has some explaining to do. I, I think Alderman Borkowski is certainly on to something, calling for just a given the dynamic of what is going on now. And given the fact that what's the phrase the governor likes to use, we're all in this together. Well, this is the last time, the last time that you would think that you would want to have massive, massive increases in property values, assessments, unless it's based on with a corresponding like decrease in the mill rate. And I don't think that anybody's talking about that. This would be the appropriate time to say, you know what, we don't know what's going to happen with with the market. Yes, there's been, you know, the real estate market's been really hot, but we don't know what's going to happen to the market given that there's 300-plus thousand people now unemployed, given that we've got all these businesses that are shuttered, given that lots of other people have, you know, had to take pay cuts, given the fact that even the public sector looks like it's going to start getting hit now. It would be an interesting time to say, you know what, rather than expecting you know, people to, to pay more. We don't know exactly what the future is going to bring for the real estate market and what values are going to be. So why don't we just freeze this at the pre-assessment levels and let this all play out? Now, that would be, I, I think, an, an interesting and a novel concept, um, but given the fact that the election has just been held and there's really nothing that people can do about this other than, I guess, litigating, good luck with that, um, there's nothing you can do about it, don't expect at least some of the people at the city of Milwaukee to be too terribly um, responsive. All right, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When we look at, at COVID-19 and coronavirus, one of the things that you're seeing is the outbreaks tend to be more severe in um, cities where there's a huge population density, like New York, cities where there's a huge dependence on, on mass transit, you know, everybody's running the same buses and same subway cars, etc. cities where there's, there's, again, population density based on, on apartments and people living in high-rises. And now we're not talking about nursing homes because they pose a, a special challenge, but just, just high-rises and, and apartments. One of the things that as we look forward, moving forward, because, okay, right now it's COVID-19, but the reality of the world is we don't know what's going to be next. You know, the, 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 they call it, the phrase is black swan, and that's, that refers to some sort of unknown pandemic. Okay, so COVID-19, 
was the, the black swan of, of 2020. But we don't know what the next black swan is going to be, other than the fact that there probably will, in fact, be one. Now, maybe we can learn a little bit from you know COVID-19 and, and be more prepared with face masks and PPE, stuff like that. But you know we, we don't know what the next black swan is going to be. And one of the big questions is how are people going to adjust their, their living habits? Big story in the Washington Post about how people who are living in apartment buildings or or high-rise apartment buildings in particular, but also, you know, condo complexes where you've got a lot of units packed in, how this has been a particularly frustrating period of time for them because you you can say safer at home, but you you still have to to go out. And so you've got to leave your apartment, and you've got to, you know, walk down the same hallway that other people are, are using. You've got to get into the same um, elevator that people are using. You've got to go through the same lobby, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And one of the big questions is, especially given how how tense these things are, what is this going to mean for the future of living in apartments, whether it's high-rise apartment buildings or whether it's you know high density, even if it's low-rise apartments? Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you have any hesitation at all, knowing what we now know, would you have any hesitation at all living in in an apartment building, an apartment complex? And again, I'm not really talking about the ones where you've got got a side-by-side townhouse or something like that. I'm talking about... I don't know, the 20-story you know, high-rise that has 10 apartments uh, on a given floor, so you're there with a whole bunch of, of other people. Would this change your thinking? Would you be less likely to want to live in one of those type of places? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I bring this up because there's been a couple stories about it, but also... Um, candidly, over the last couple of days, I had some conversations with a couple of friends who were saying, you know, this this is really making us rethink what we're thinking about doing in, in the future. Namely, you know, do, do we want to move, for example, downtown? And this isn't really so much of a downtown topic, but move downtown and then, you know, be in some, you know, large 10, 15-story, 20-story high-rise, we're not sure we want to do it. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you have a hesitation after all this moving into a large apartment building? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I would have absolutely no issues living in an apartment complex. Jeff, after this is all over, young Americans who in recent years have been leaving suburban nests and flocking to the cities to live in density with more entertainment and social energy are going to start to reverse that trend and beginning move back to the suburbs. Um, Jeff, it's very interesting where this will all go. For decades now, people have wanted us to live on top of each other in very concentrated areas and make every other place in America a national park. It's turning out that congested areas like cities can be infected much more quickly and much more wisely. Wouldn't widely? Wouldn't it be interesting if small town America makes a comeback? Uh, you know. And then another text, Jeff, it won't change a thing. The generation that normally lives in these types of housing, for the most part, do not seem concerned about the econ- the epidemic. I don't think it'll change those habits. See, here, here's, and I, I think that touches on something that I, I think is going to happen. The For younger 
people who are not in the, the targeted risk groups. And I've been talking a lot about that. One of the things that's frustrating to me is in Wisconsin we have this one-size-fits-all type of approach. Um, for younger people who are, you know, if, if you come down with coronavirus, for example, you're in all likelihood you're, you're not going to be hospitalized, you're going to be sick for a little bit, and you're going to get better. Okay, for those those people, I don't think, and, that, and that, that's primarily the younger people, I don't think it's going to change the dynamic, and I think, again, they're going to want to live in the hip and trendy areas and be close to it. Where I think this is going to have an effect is on on older Americans. You know, the empty nesters, uh, the people in their 60s and their 70s, which are in, like, the higher risk groups now, um, who ha- have fueled part of the urban develop- redevelopment by, okay, selling the house in the suburbs and, and moving into, okay, we want to be downtown because we want to be, you know, close to all the restaurants and stuff like that. They are in, of course, some of the higher risk groups because, as we know, you know, the, the older you are, the greater your risk if you get sick of having a, a bad sort of outcome in addition if you have some of these underlying conditions, which tend to also correspond with people getting older, not exclusively, but they tend to do it, I I think there's a lot of people who might have thought, hey, I'm going to get rid of the house in the suburb, and I'm going to move downtown because I want to be within walking distance of some of my favorite restaurants. I think for some of those people, they are going to rethink their decisions because the whole question is going to be, you're going to be, yeah, you're sheltering in place, but you're not alone. You're, you know, you're on that floor with the Lord knows how many other people, and you're using the same elevators, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. For the younger people, I don't think it's going to change any dynamic at all. For older people, yeah, I think this is going to be a factor that people consider even after COVID-19 is a thing of the past, because you never know what the next black swan is going to be. This is Jeff Wagner.